is to have chaos in the Ukraine, sacrifice the Ukraine as a pawn uh, to justify NATO. And when Putin says, you know, this has been for many, many centuries part of Russia, for you to be arming the Ukraine and talking about the Ukraine being in a military alliance whose enemy is Russia uh, is not acceptable to us, that we share too much of a border and too many uh, uh, ethnic Russians live there. Uh, mm-hmm. We've invested in all of the infrastructure there. Uh, that's, that's not acceptable to us. And the last time we played this with Russia was the Cuban Missile Crisis, where the United States put missiles in Turkey. Uh, the Russians didn't much like it, so the Russians responded by putting missiles in Cuba. The United States didn't much like it. And so the United States and Cuba, rather than go to nuclear war, decided, well, I'll tell you what, Russia, if you remove the missiles from Cuba and uh, the United States, if you remove the missiles from Turkey, uh, that uh, we will all uh, uh, get along again and we'll avoid war. And that's what we did. But this time, rather than doing so, the comatose I, I would say easily the most disastrous president the United States has ever had. And by the way, I'm not alone, I guess, in, in that. A recent poll uh, shows that uh, 86% of Americans recognize that America is headed in the wrong direction. Uh, with that 14% that think we're headed in the right direction, I, I, I don't think you have a company. Who knows? Uh, but, but nonetheless, uh, Biden has unified the nation. He's just unified the nation against him. Uh, He's been an utter and unmitigated disaster, and you can't wish him ill because his vice president would be even worse. Uh, And so here we are in a situation where Russia asked, like Russia did the previous time, please take the missiles out of Turkey this time. Please stop arming the Ukraine. And to show you we're serious, we're going to surround the Ukraine with with 100,000 troops. But we're not going to invade if you just agree not to make the Ukraine part of NATO and start stop arming them. But we did exactly the opposite. And the Ninkapoop vice president would act actually went there two days before the invasion and was celebrating the idea of the Ukraine becoming part of NATO, a military alliance that is opposed to Russia. We baited Russia into war. Now, why anyone in their right mind, after destroying the economy, destroying people's work ethic, destroying supply uh, lines, uh, uh, completely uh, undermined the value of our currency, and on many food items, basics, building materials, they've increased 30 and 40 percent. Shelves are empty. We destroyed our economy by the manipulation of, uh, of COVID, and we go right from there to going to war against Russia and putting such sanctions on Russia, not thoughtful of the fact that they are one of the largest exporters of oil, of gas, of fertilizer, of wheat, and we put the world into crisis. Food shortages around the world. There's going to be riots around the world as a result of that. And in the process of declaring war against Russia and exacerbating our economy. We're in the worst mess that America has probably been in since its uh, um, founding. 
That's where we are. And it's all because we deliberately antagonized the nation with the most nuclear weapons into war. And now we're pretending like we're the good guys and they're the bad guys. And the worst part of it all is that most people have been so dumbed down by the echo chamber that is our media and our politics that they're unable to recognize the truth. The uh, next thing I would like to talk about just briefly is uh, Roe v. Wade and it being uh, overturned. It is appropriate for the court actually to overturn Roe v. Wade because the federal government has no right to impose its will as it relates to something like abortion. The U.S. Constitution says that the rights that aren't specifically allocated to the federal government belong to states, and those not afforded to the states belong to the people. So the issue of what to do as it relates to abortion cannot be a federal right. At the very most, it could be a state right, and if it isn't a state right, it's an individual right. Uh, So to have a federal ruling in the Supreme Court in favor of a nationalized policy is unconstitutional. If you don't care about the Constitution, then what do you have? You have no senators, you have no president, you have no congressman, you've got no country. So you have to be really careful when you are willing to bend the Constitution to your own uh, specific politics. The next thing I would like to say about abortion is that those who are protesting uh, the potential overturn of, uh, of Roe v. Wade and who are saying that my body, uh, you know, my right, uh, you can't control my body. But I would say 100% of women who are having an abortion, not 100% because some were victimized of, of rape, and I feel sorry for them and, and understand that they need to do whatever is appropriate for them. Uh, it's a tragedy. But the overwhelming preponderance of abortions are the woman couldn't keep control of her body. And it's her lack of responsibility over her own body that put her in the position now where she wants the federal government to pay for her to have an abortion. So you can't cry, uh, I, you can't control my body, when you yourself can't control your body. I would like people to think about that. Mm-hmm. The last item in the news I want to talk about briefly is the uh, uh, supermarket killing and and uh, uh, that uh, took the lives of uh, of ten uh, people. It was a tragedy. Uh, the president of the United States has uh, went out and uh, and said that that we have to root out and end white supremacy in our nation. Uh, that uh, like uh, white supremacy was a problem in our nation. If he had said what we need to do is uh, is root out to those who uh, believe in reptilian overlords, he would have had a uh, a better argument. There are more Americans that believe in reptilian overlords than there are Americans that are white supremacists. And so to go out there and blame uh, what he would consider Republicans, what he would consider as conservatives, as uh, as being white supremacists is utter nonsense. In other words, he is twisting that tragedy for his uh, own political gain, and he's uh, making up a straw man. There aren't even 1%. There's not even one-tenth of 1%. I doubt there's even 
one hundredth of one percent of Americans that are white supremacists. It's a non-factor in this nation. So what in the hell is he talking about? And then he goes off and blames this. Uh, there's a replacement theory now that the Democrats have been touting for 20 years, which is they want open borders. Uh, they want demographics to change in America so that Caucasians are no longer influential. That's their goal. They want Caucasians to be a minority because they believe that people of color and immigrants uh, will vote for the Democratic Party. So they have been trumpeting this idea of, uh, of replacement for two decades. And yet now they want to blame the killing in the supermarket on conservatives for advocating replacement. But it is entirely their thing as progressives. Uh, it's as if we have lost completely the ability to have a rational, intelligent discussion and all we know is ad hominem argument. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the most remarkable ad hominem arguments is Jeff Bezos, the founder of Amazon, who is a liberal. I mean, he bought the Washington Post, loved the Washington Post's uh, liberal uh, agenda. He came out recently and said that the Biden administration, <coughs> having tried to overstimulate an already overstimulated economy and have uh, caused great uh, inflation in this nation. And he says it wasn't for, I think, the senator from Tennessee, uh, Michigan, that, that uh, precluded them from spending another build back better two or three trillion dollars. He said they would have completely destroyed the economy with, uh, with um, uh, overheating it through government deficit spending. And so the press secretary of the United States shoots back with an ad hominem argument and says, yeah, that's exactly what you'd expect a billionaire to, uh, to say, uh, who doesn't want to pay his fair share. And he said, what? Do you not understand anything about uh, economics? When, when you devalue your currency by deficit spending and creating more money to, to fund your deficit spending, you devalue your currency, which causes prices to go up. That's economics 101. Mm -hmm. Are you completely ignorant of that? Press secretary and the Biden administration? Since you could not refute his argument, the best you could do was an ad hominem argument to attack him. And oh, by the way, he owns the Washington Post. What in the hell has happened to us? Is there no one in the Democratic Party that has ever run a business that has any clue as to what it takes, as to why businesses have fled America because we tax them too much, and yet they want them to pay their fair share, and they're paying such an exorbitant share that we've essentially destroyed all incentive to make anything in this country? put ourselves in a, in a position where the only solution is going to be uh, the Great Recess, which is not a solution, but an uh, uh, admission that we have destroyed everything that so many people have worked for. Your savings, 
all of the things that you have saved and done that is positive will be destroyed in one swoop. But that's where we are, a world at war, heading towards a nuclear uh, conflict. Israel, oh my goodness, what a mess Israel is, is in right now. Oh, yeah. You know, they've, uh, the ruling uh, coalition has lost their majority. I, I despise with a, a capital D the parliamentary system because all the parliamentary system is is you take all the little minor parties and the the person trying to form the coalition figures out a way to bribe them with powerful positions or with money for their favorite cause and, and so you you form coalitions uh like uh rom i think got something like six billion dollars to uh to lavish on the fake Estenians. and you get people that don't belong together, extreme liberals, extreme conservatives, uh, um, radical Muslims forming a government. But right now they, they no longer have a majority. So what do you do? Uh, the opposition, the, uh, the primary vote getter is Likud and Benjamin Netanyahu. And he would be a disaster again because the only way that he can get to power is to bribe and empower the Haredim, the most fundamentalist Jews who are useless human beings. Uh, by the way, uh, this week we're, uh, um, our outreach is to the Jewish community in Minneapolis, um, one of my favorite places to, uh, to visit, also my, one of my favorite places to, uh, to mock, of course, the you know, two seasons, uh, there's uh, winter and road repair. Um, uh, they also say there's two seasons, there's winter and the 4th of July. And uh, and Minneapolis, where the state bird is the mosquito, uh, actually is one of my favorite places. Many of my closest friends live in uh, in Minneapolis. I actually uh, enjoy uh, enjoy going there. Good people there. Uh, Israel is in a uh, in a horrible fix, though, uh, and, there, and there really is no solution. Uh, I was reading an article yesterday about the Haredim. The Haredim are uh, are so incredibly lost uh, th this notion that judaism is adherence to the torah and their torah observant and that uh, that their religion is the first monotheistic religion all bullcrap absolute bullcrap judaism is a uh, 17th 18th century religion uh and it is uh, it, it grew out of the ukraine which is one of the reasons I think we have the explosion uh, of uh, and war in the Ukraine right now, uh, and it is dunderhead. I mean, it is Haredim Judaism, ultra-orthodox Judaism, is probably as dumb as is Mormonism. I mean, there is no correlation between the truth and that religion, and they're out now in ancestor worship, and that's all that is. Um, they're, uh, they've come up with a festival uh, uh, that is based on, uh, on a number of days from the, uh, uh, they call it Counting of the Omer. Uh, and they just picked a, a random number, and they say that this is the day we're going to go celebrate. And they celebrate this day because it's the death of the rabbi uh, who... Uh, allegedly wrote the Zohar. Of course, there's absolutely no evidence that he wrote a word of the Zohar because the first copies of the Zohar date to Spain in the 11th or 12th century. 
Uh, nonetheless, that doesn't stop the religious from believing such rubbish. And so they go by the tens of thousands to the rabbi's tomb. And they build bonfires uh, like the pagans in celebration of this rabbi's death. It's nothing but ancestor worship. And it's, it's just repulsive. And they dance around like monkeys. They're wearing their black mourning uh, suits. They take their children, destroying them. This year, the report was they were saying how inhuman the experience was because as they traveled to the north, no one volunteered to provide them with proper uh, lavatory uh, facilities and water and food on the way, as if they're such complete, useless beings that they can't bring their own food, they can't arrange for their own laboratory uh, along the way, they can't bring their own water. They, they need somebody else to do it for them. And they thought how disgusting it was that, that they didn't have these facilities. What a total waste of a human life. There's no religion that God hates more than Judaism. There's no religion more anti-Semitic than Judaism. These are truths. They're not my opinion. It's exactly what God would uh, tell you. All right, Kirk, with that uh, cheery news, uh, as uh, we, uh, we re-engage, uh, we were uh, sharing Dabadim 18. Dabadim 18 is a profoundly important discussion because uh, Moshe, who's the speaker, begins by explaining the role of the Loi as priests. Well, what is the role of the Loi today in Israel and Israel? In Judah? There aren't any. There aren't any fulfilling that no, role. No, they've been completely replaced. Can you mm-hmm. tell me anywhere where Yahweh said, the Loi uh, shall exist until the time of the rabbi, and then they'll be replaced by the rabbis? No. 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 So the, the rabbinical Judaism is a complete farce. It has no basis whatsoever. Yahweh says that his ministers, those who are going to officiate and help bring the people together so they can capitalize upon, so they can understand, so they can appreciate and, and effectively attend the Moed Mekre, Pesach, Matzah, Bakurim, Shavuah, Teruah, Kaporim, and Sukkah, that would be the role of the Loe. And he very clear said the Loe cannot make any money. You don't pay them. Oops. Rabbis are the highest paid religious clerics Cleric. in the world by almost mm-hmm. three times. They're money grubbers. You can't pay them. They can't own land. Got to be fed. God says very clearly, their inheritance and their reward is with me. They do their job right they receive the benefits of the covenant. So that's the first part that is so important in this, that there's no justification. This, this idea that Judaism goes back to the time of Abraham is complete crap. And I, I use the, the graphic term because God does. Kalal. Yeah. Yeah, he does all the time. He says that they are bullshit is what he says of them. They're excrement. They're cow patties. 
from God's perspective. If you don't think so, go read the document. Go read the Torah and Prophets. I'm not making this stuff up. That's what he says. And he's right. And so, with God saying that the Loi Cohen, Loi means to unite, Cohen means to, uh, to serve, represent him, and that they would, for all time, to have men replace them with those who choose to make their living this way as rabbi, with a completely different agenda. The Loewe were were told specifically that they would serve in the name of Yahweh. There isn't a rabbi in the world that would even say Yahweh's name. They're complete fraud. And so there is no basis going back to the time of Abraham because God in his Torah, which is the only way we know about Abraham, is through the Torah, is really clear that there are no rabbis. There's only the Loewe Cohen. So don't pretend that Judaism is old. It isn't. It's an 18th century creation. Yes, the Talmud goes back to basically 500 to 600. uh, And there is a lot of Talmud into Judaism. There's a lot of Zohar uh, and, uh, and Kabbalah in Judaism that goes back to the 12th century. But we're talking Abraham is 2000 BCE. And the beginning of Judaism really is the Maccabean uh, revolt uh, where um, individuals vied for power over the Loi. And uh, that is really the birth of where where people could um, it's assert their own individual claim as opposed to following the instructions of the Torah. And then it uh, evolved over the next uh, uh, two or three uh, centuries to under Rabbi Akiba with all of his disciples uh, that uh, came up with the false Messiah. I, I actually encouraged Rome to invade based upon the work that he did with the false Messiah, Bar Kokhba. He's responsible for the destruction of Israel, the destruction of Judea, the destruction of Jerusalem, and the diaspora. And yet he's the father of the religion, which says that uh, we're not thinking things very clearly. All right, with that known, so you've got the first part of it is Moshe explaining God's relationship with the Loi and their purpose, which negates rabbinic Judaism entirely. From there, uh, he is uh, uh, talking about what it is that we as individuals should do if we want to be right with God. And then from there, it's going to be something that is profoundly important, which is how do you know when somebody is speaking for God and who is not? How do you know if the New Testament Talmud or the Mishnah, or the Zohar, are speaking for Yahweh, or they were made up by men and are uh, more toxic than beneficial? Well, God gives us the answer. It's in the body of 18. 
And based upon the answers that he gives us and the tests that he provides and the body maintain, the Talmud is trash, as is the Christian New Testament, as is the Zohar, as is the Quran. They do not measure up. So this is uh, the next statement that uh, follows where we were uh, this time last week. And I would be introduced by saying, if uh, we want to be included in Yahweh's eternal family, we must allow him to perfect us. And for this to occur, we must observe Pesach and Matzah, leading to Bukurim and Shabuah. Now, this is not an isolated idea, God perfecting us. It happens to be uh, part and parcel of the first three conditions of the covenant. Mm -hmm. The first is that we walk away from that which corrupts us. God has no interest in perfecting somebody who is desirous of continuing to be um, misled. Why bother to clean something that's wallowing in the mud? You've got to get out of the mud before God is going to clean you. So the first condition of the covenant is walk away from religion, from politics, away from the confusion of Babylon, from your, uh, your culture, from patriotism, from these kinds of things. That's the first condition. It's only once you do that that God will even interact with you. Mm-hmm. The second is to walk to Yahweh and become perfected. Once you walk away from the toxicity of religion and politics, God has provided a path which begins with Pesach and Matzah, leading to Bakorum and Shabuah, to perfect us. So that we can be adopted into his covenant family on Bakorum. That is his plan. The third condition of the covenant is to trust and rely on Yahweh, which means that rather than trusting and relying on rabbis or, or men or politics or your country or your military, you choose to trust and rely on Yahweh, which means you need to know him and understand what he's offering and what he expects in return. Mm-hmm. So that's where we are. That is an overview of the Barim, which means words uh, corrupted to Deuteronomy 18. We're in the 13th statement. You can actually become completely and continually perfected by, cons- by being consistently right. Tamim, haya. You will genuinely exist as totally acceptable when you are truthful and correct, demonstrating integrity and sincerity, becoming entirely undefiled, upright, and innocent by being honest. Call imperfect. Call means actually, genuinely, literally, in the confines of a relationship. The imperfect means that the action of the verb, which is to be right, to become mm-hmm. perfected, uh, has oh, ongoing yeah. implications throughout time. So you can actually become completely and continually perfected by being consistently right with Yahweh. Your God. What a deal. Now, that's a good deal. That's what that is what <laughs> Yahweh's offering. That that is in your hands. The the second condition of the covenant is you allow Yahweh to do this on your behalf after you've walked away from religion and politics. Good deal. 
That happens to be the function of Chag Matzah, of Pesach leading to Matzah, is to remove the fungus of yeast from us, which is the fungus of religion, from us so that we can be perfected. That's what God is offering. It is, as you say, an exceedingly good deal. However, there is a caveat. There's a name in there. Yeah. Yeah. If you don't know it, if you don't say it, if you're rabbinical and refuse it, ignore it, write it out of your religion, you have a 0% chance of God doing this for you. You have to be consistently right with Yahweh, your God. To be right with Yahweh, your God, you have to know his name. You have to say his name. You have to appreciate his name. You must acknowledge his name. All of these things are essential. All of this becoming perfected by Yahweh requires you to acknowledge that Yahweh is your God. Now, there are those who would say that our, that this instruction requires that we become perfect. No. Okay. For those who would think that, how? Yeah. What? Give it your best shot. You can't become perfect by being utterly religious because God despises religion. That would make you incredibly imperfect. So how? Do you think that there is somebody out there that, uh, that was more accurate about God, more uh, perfected, more exonerated, more acquitted, more vindicated by God than Dode, King, Messiah? No. Son of God? Impossible. No. And by the way, he was not perfect by his own admission. Moshe wasn't perfect by his own admission and by God's. There is no way for a human being to be perfect. This isn't who we are. In fact, by being imperfect, it makes us interesting. God likes imperfect people. God, he loves Dode. And I'll tell you, Dode did a thousand things wrong. He did a million things right. And he was right where it mattered. And so... Since there is absolutely no way for us to be perfect, and there's never been a perfect person, and God is not asking us to do the impossible, God is stating that he is willing to do for us this marvelous thing, to perfect us. Now, what does it mean to perfect us? To make us better, to make us right, to make us acceptable, to help make us more truthful and and correct. Yeah, well, let's mm-hmm. uh, let's start with the very basics. We are a uh, we're a three dimensional physical being. Correct. That's about as imperfect as you can be. I I can attest, and I'm I'm you know I'm older than Moses. No, I'm just kidding. I'm, I don't know how old I am. I'm older counting. than you, so how old are you? Yeah, stop counting yeah. a long time ago. Um, I can tell you that uh, getting older is not a good thing. I mean, it, it beats the alternative by a long shot, mind you. But, but 
my knees, my back, my eyes, they aren't what they used to be. Uh, I used to be able to work until 10, 11, 12 o'clock at night, uh, get three or four hours sleep and be back at it at five in the morning. I can't do that anymore. Now, there's some really wonderful advantages of being older, the things that I know and and uh, the friendships have developed and the understanding that has come along with uh, with age and study. It's I wouldn't trade where I am now for any time in my past. But the fact is, Kirk, that our bodies decay. Yeah. So the as a as a physical being in a world of decay, uh, it's deteriorating. Yes. Yeah, we're deteriorating. So for God to perfect us, we have to evolve from being a decaying physical being to being energy based. Light energy does not decay. Physical beings, physical mass does decay. So that is part of what he's doing. He's going to take us from three dimensions to seven dimensions. He's going to take us from from matter to energy. But he's also going in this process of taking us from the darkness of this world and enveloped by religion and politics to by perfecting us and making us light and removing us from it, we will be ever more like him. Mm-hmm. Eternal and perfect. And, and that's part of this whole process. And it is only God who can do this for us. And he has a specific plan. As a matter of fact, an absolute discord with Pauline Christianity, the Torah exists to perfect the universe. Yes. That's why it exists. And we can capitalize on this. And that's what this statement means. So this profoundly important declaration is not only the lone remedy to resolve the stain and the stigma and the stench of religious ga'al, yes. It serves as a direct affirmation of the second of five conditions to participate in the covenant. After asking us to walk away from Babel, the confounding nature of religion and politics, God instructs us to walk to him and become perfected. This is one of the most misunderstood aspects of the covenant. One of the most misunderstood aspects of the invitation, the Moed Mikre. Indeed, Mm -hmm. I would say it is among the most misunderstood aspects of the Torah. Because the Torah, by the religious, is wrongly presented as law, and a law condemns. You don't have a law that says... um, because uh, you can break it the once in a while. You, yeah, we're going to uh, enrich you and reward you. No, laws exist to take away your money, your uh, your life, or your freedom. You violate the law, you lose something. If you keep the law, you gain nothing. Now, laws are are a net negative. They're restrictive. They're not emancipating. And they are punitive, they are not rewarding. Yahweh's Torah is rewarding, it's not punitive. 
and it is emancipating, not controlling. Therefore, the Torah is teaching, which does these things. It is not law, which does the opposite. The covenant, the invitations in the Torah all exist to make us acceptable, to perfect the imperfect, to acquit those who are right about Yahweh. When our perceptions about God are correct, he opens heaven's door to welcome us into his home. There is a reason that Yada Yahweh is what, 25 or so volumes. Uh, the average volume is five, 600 pages. It's because the more you know, the more likely you can be correct about Yahweh. It's a lot to know. A lot mm-hmm. to learn. The more you know, the more you learn, the better your chances are of making that next step, which is so vital, understanding. And once you understand, then you can respond to Yahweh, accept what he's offering. Capitalize on all of this. God continues. By comparison, these people from different races and places, Ha-Goyim, Ha-El-Le, mm-hmm. the Gentiles and those from other nations, who you shall dispossess and remove... They listen to false prophets who obscure the truth with myths. And they believe in antiquated religious notions and invalid opinion makers. But as for you, this is not the correct way. Yahweh your God has offered for you to approach. The body 1814. Kirk for to have two statements mm-hmm. better than these, you'd have to look long and hard. And this you is you don't in need the Torah. This is Tabarim. This is, you know, Yahweh provided the history of his creation of the universe, of his reset uh, mm-hmm. with the flood, of his developing relationship and the covenant with Abraham. And then how that evolved from Abraham to to Yishak, meaning Yaakov, clay, Yishak after to Yaakov, meaning Yisrael, mm-hmm. which was changed to Yisrael by God. And the, this development of this covenant and his relationship with the chosen people. And he provided all that history to Moshe. And then he called Moshe and said, I want you to go with me to liberate my people because God loves to work with people. He particularly likes to work with people who have um, experiences and are in a position in life that uh, suits what he's trying to achieve. And of course, the first thing is you have Mm -hmm. to be willing to have already, not just willing, but have already walked away from religion and politics and country and patriotism and militarism. And that's what Moshe had done. Mm -hmm. So Moshe understood all the garbage that religion and politics and militarism and the caste system, which is so pervasive throughout the history of civilization, All history. had imposed upon the Hebrews. Already familiar with it, disgusted by it, risked his life to intervene, and now was out in Arabia, having left it all 
it made Moshe not only the perfect individual to work with Yahweh, but in fact the only one on the planet. And that's often the case, that there's one or two people worldwide in a position to do what Yahweh wants. And so Moshe picked up from that point, and as he led the people out of of Mitzrayim, the crucibles of, of religious and political oppression, and towards the Promised Land, as soon as they crossed the Gulf of Aqaba, and uh, came before Horeb. Horeb was exactly where Yahweh and Moshe first met. And Yahweh said, you'll bring mm-hmm. the people, the children of Israel, back to this very place. And he did. And the top of the mountain was uh, blazing, and Yahweh revealed his Torah. He did not reveal the Talmud. He revealed the Torah. <laughs> no old. And, right. And oh, the, no. this Torah went from the story then of, after presenting the creation account and the flood and the formation of the covenant. It's now the story of the Exodus. What is the Exodus? It's freedom. It's emancipation. It's being liberated, not being put under a law. It's, uh, it's not a worshipful experience. It's not a prayerful experience. It's simple. It's liberation from the religious and political and economic and military influence of humankind, and really conspiratorial as well. That's what the Exodus is all about, the Yatsa in Hebrew. And from that point, Yahweh says, okay, I'm going I'm to codify my instructions. I'm going to give you written instructions so they can be shared and passed on throughout the generations, throughout time. And he called those written instructions his teaching and guidance Torah based upon the verb yara, which means yara. Sort of mm-hmm. teaching, guidance, instruction, uh, and uh, directions. And so the, the next book after uh, Exodus, which is Shemot names, uh, the next book is uh, Kara, uh, which we've corrupted to Leviticus, which is the story of uh, being called out of the world of religion and politics. Kara means to read and recite, to be invited, to be summoned, to be welcomed, and to meet. And he presents in that book, Yahweh does, his seven Moed Mikre, these seven feasts, which religious Jews don't give a rat's ass about. You know, they've just celebrated Mm. a pagan holiday that uh, they uh, attribute to the, the death of, uh, of a mystic rabbi. And they also attribute it to a plague that killed 25,000 of Akibas, who's among the most disgusting, counterproductive individuals in the history of the world. 25,000 of his disciples by uh, plague. By the way, uh, how many disciples did Moshe have? <laughs> no. Dode, how many disciples did Dode have? How many disciples did Samuel, Samuel have? How many disciples no. did Noah had? How many disciples did Adam have? How many disciples did Abraham have? How many disciples did Yishak and Jacob have? What in the mm. hell is wrong with these people <laughs> having their little following? 
Stop it already. We're all following Yahweh, and if you're not following Yahweh, you're lost. So anyway, uh, he presents the Moed Mikre. He presents the Yobel, which uh, tells us how to keep track of time, the eons, and and why God is devoted to uh, releasing us from our debts, releasing us from our captives so that we can be free. He is the God of liberation, of emancipation. Uh, And ultimately, we end up at Debadim, Deuteronomy, which is where we are here. And in Mm -hmm. Debadim, the Torah changes from being Yahweh speaking to the children of Yisrael to Moshe speaking to them. And you know why that change occurred? Well, he wrote Davarim, or most of it. It's his oh, commentary oh, what, on oh, what he learned. What, yeah, what happened was Yahweh said, listen, Moshe, you and I have had lots of conversation. I've, uh, I've shared my Torah with you. Uh, I've shared these tablets with you. Um, and, you know, you're dealing with a, a really stubborn, hard-headed a group of people down there. Um, yeah, they're scared of him, too. And, oh, and they're, they're stooped in mysticism and religion and all this kind of stuff. They've been incubated in that for 400 years. What I'm going to do here is I'm going to demonstrate to the children of Israel conclusively, dramatically, personally, that you're my guy and that I am the source of everything that you've been given. That the Torah isn't the first four books of the Torah, aren't Moshe's, they're Yahweh's. So so I'm going to do that for you. I'm going to provide all the credibility that you need because your credibility is important to me because I chose to work through you. So God says, gather all the children of Israel. He does. And God speaks directly to them. And what do the children of Israel do? Run. Leave me alone. Oh, oh my so God. He's scaring us to death. That big voice, that big fire. I'm going to die. Don't ever do that again. So, what was God's response? He said, okay. God said, what's wrong with these weasels? Good God. I mean... I've dialed myself down like a billion, 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 billion fold. I got a decent voice. I'm reasonably articulate. I'm telling them I don't want them to worship me. I don't want anything from them. I'm not imposing any laws. I'm trying to teach them, to guide them, and take them to the promised land. I just removed them from from being slaves. What's their beef? What's wrong with them? That's not what God said. You know what he said? Because I agree with him. They're right. It isn't right for me to be doing this. It isn't. So, what God said, I'm going to do from this point on, is I'm going to find someone, and I'm always going to speak through a person. And he says, that's the right thing to do. And we might think, how in the world would that be the right thing to do when God could speak directly to us? If God speaks to us, we cower and run. We get intimidated. He doesn't want to intimidate us. The prime directive, the whole reason the universe exists, the reason he conceived life, 
is because he wants to have a relationship with us. What's the purpose of having a relationship if he doesn't do relational things with us? And what could be more relational than working with us to do the important things in life? Like liberate his people, like guide and educate his people. And so mm-hmm. God says, they're right. But my whole idea here is that I want to communicate through an individual. I want to work with an individual. We're going to put it all in writing so everybody has access. But I'm going to communicate through somebody because that way it's not intimidating. That way it's comfortable. That way I'm not forcing myself on them. And that way I get to experience the very kind of relationship and interaction that is the intent of the universe from the from the start. So that's why we have the body. Long story. I, could, I don't know any short stories that pertain to God. There's only long stories. I like God's long stories. You would be listening to this program if you didn't like the same long stories. So no apology for them. But that's the reason we have the body. So here now is Moshe, who has been inspired by Yahweh, who has the set-apart spirit of Yahweh teaching him. And so it's that his words that he is communicating are gods. They call such men prophets. Now, be clear. God didn't only communicate through prophets. He has witnesses too. The witnesses are not prophets in the sense there is a real strict set of rules associated with a prophet. You get zero chances to be wrong. Everything you say must be precisely accurate about the past, about the future, totally consistent with what Yahweh has said, you get no do-overs as yeah, a prophet. That's what makes you so inspired by Yahweh to perform that role. The witnesses are there to, to convey what the prophets have shared in a way that resonates with God's people so that they're prepared to respond, so they're prepared to learn, so they're equipped to understand. You're listening to a witness as opposed to a prophet. But there's a fairly small distinction between the two because the witness shares what the prophet has revealed. All right, so this brings us to Debatim 18.14. Seedingly powerful statement, important statement. Mm-hmm. All right. I was sharing with my wife, Leah, uh, this morning that being Jewish is really not an ethnicity. Uh, We always think of it as an ethnicity and uh, the Goyim as a different ethnicity, a different race than being Jewish. But was Abraham Jewish? Not at all. No, he's Babylonian. Never Right. Yeah. Was a Sarah. As Sarah. Uh, was no, Sarah Jewish? Same no, thing. In fact, she was his half-brother. No, she was not uh, Jewish. Was, uh, uh, so Yishak is born. He's, uh, he's just like uh, Sarah Egyptian. and Abraham. They're Babylonians. I mean, sorry, the other brothers. They came yeah. from Ur of Chaldea. And they're Babylonians. Whether it was from Summa or Babylon prophet, mm-hmm. uh, proper, they're Babylonians. That's what they are. Um, 
you know, Yishak uh, picks a wife. She's not Jewish either. They have uh, uh, two sons. Um, one of them God hates. The other one he uh, he chooses. Jacob is the one that is chosen. He has uh, two wives. Neither of them are uh, are Jewish either. And he has two concubines. And there's the 12 tribes plus the Loi come from uh, Rachel women, and Leah yeah. and the, uh, the two concubines, none of whom are Jewish. But then, yeah, well, renames Jacob Yisrael, and it speaks of his sons as being the sons of Yisrael, the children of Yisrael. It is a distinction that has a heritage to specific people, but that heritage is based entirely upon the promises of the covenant. So Yisrael really is a covenant legacy more than it is an ethnicity. The goyim would be those who were not excluded from the covenant, but who are not specifically uh, the designees of the covenant. It sounds like a fairly small point, but it's actually a big one. The idea is that the covenant was given to Abraham and Sarah, confirmed with Yishak, confirmed with Jacob, and confirmed again through Moshe as he tells, as Yahweh tells him the story of their legacy. Uh, and the Goyim were the nations and the civilizations and the fiefdoms and the tribal communities surrounding Israel. You can go as far as China if you want uh, uh, and throughout uh, uh, the world at that time, which, you know, the world kind of fell off the edge uh, past uh, Egypt going uh, Mm -hmm. in one direction. Uh, This is way before there was a uh, a Greece, uh, probably during Moshe's time, the, the the Mycenaean kingdom was just uh, at that point uh, had uh, was thriving, would soon be uh, destroyed. Well, actually, uh, it had been destroyed about the time of Moshe, but uh, after uh, earthquake, uh, uh, yeah. uh, after Abraham, uh, <clears throat> we're a very very different world uh, back uh, 2000 BCE, and even at 1447, 1448 BCE during the time of the Exodus. Uh, But there were civilizations, like there was the Canaanites, there were the Hittites, uh, the Jebusites. uh, uh, Of course, uh, Sumer existed, uh, Babylon, um, Assyria, uh, Mitzrayim, uh, which we uh, use the Greek name now, uh, Egypt. Uh, Mm -hmm. These were all Goyim, non-descendants of, of Yaakov, non-Yisraelite communities. <clears throat> and there's something that most people don't have an appreciation of civilization. They think <clears throat> that civilized man, to be a civilized man is to be a good thing. That's not. They think that, they, that there was grandeur in these ancient civilizations. No, they were not. They were all despicable. Every single one. I don't care if you go to the New World and you deal with the Aztecs, the Mayans, and the Incas, or you go to the Polyponesians and 
you're dealing with uh, Tahiti and uh, and later Hawaii. If you're dealing mm-hmm. with uh, China or Japan, if you're dealing with uh, India, if you're dealing with uh, the uh, the early Middle East, if you're dealing with Greece or Rome or the Carthaginians or the Spartans, it does not matter. Horrible. Every single one without exception imposed a caste system. And in that caste system, there's only one person that had any degree of freedom, the king, and that was it. Everybody else had to do exactly what he said or die. That's it. And that caste system was such that you could not move up and down on it. You were there, man. You were born as, uh, as a serf. You were born as a farmer. You were going to be a farmer, a merchant, a soldier, a priest, whatever it was. There was no moving up and down. Highly restricted, the opposite of freedom, highly oppressive. Civilizations existed for the benefit of the king, period. They were all vicious. They're disgusting. They were all religious. The religion and politics were intertwined. The king was the head of the religion, and they considered himself a god. So God says, the real God says, these things are disgusting. They have nothing but fake gods, men making fictitious claims, oppressing everyone, subjugating them, enslaving them, lying to them, mistreating them. Civilization sucks. I despise it. Don't emulate it. Everything the Goyim are doing, from Imperial Rome to the Roman Catholic Church, Communists and Nazis, Communist government of China, they're all disgusting. Joe Biden's America, reprehensible, wrong across the board. God says, don't act like them. Don't celebrate them. Don't be patriotic about them. Don't kowtow to them. Don't respect them. Don't revere them. Don't fear them. Don't copy them. Don't emulate them. By comparison, the people from different races and places, the Goyim, you shall dispossess and remove. They listen to false prophets who obscure the truth with the myths, and they believe in antiquated religious notions and invalid opinion makers. But as for you, this is not the correct way that Yahweh has offered for you to approach. They were religious. Don't be religious. They were militaristic. Don't be militaristic. They imposed a caste system. Don't do that. They integrated religion and politics. Don't do that. Everything they did was wrong. Don't do it. And what do we do? 99.9% of the people in the world have emulated the ways of the Goyim. And if they hold up their bibble and pretend that they're 
serving the uh, the god of their bibble when in fact they're honoring the ways of the goyim roman catholicism christianity is the way of the goyim islam the way of the goyim rabbinical judaism is the way of the goyim false prophets belief in myths antiquated religious notions, invalid opinion makers. The Goyim were also presented in the statement, Kirk, as those you mm-hmm. will dispossess and remove. Why? Because okay, you have to clean it away. Israel, the promised land, was filled, to some degree, filled, had people in mm-hmm. it that were Goyim. Oh, yeah. They were into child sacrifice. They were into false religion. They were into the slave trade. They mm-hmm. were into the caste system. They had their kings, and nobody else had any power of authority. God says, you're going to dispossess them. I'm going to clean house. This one place, it belongs to you, and I'm going to work with you to rid the house of the rats and the snakes and the vermin all the way uh, through. So, it's quite a statement. Mm -hmm. And yet, with this in the middle of the body in the Torah, there isn't, there's not one in a million people that avoid the way of the Goyim. The Herodim, that's a completely goyish religion having no connection whatsoever to the Torah. Christianity, born and bred in Babylon. Islam, same thing. So the Israelites were aware of the debilitating and dehumanizing nature of religion. They had spent 400 years as slaves in Mitzrayim. How could you not figure it out? They were in the crucibles of religious and political oppression. But having not learned their lesson, religion remains the dominant influence in the lives of some 40% of Jews worldwide. And those 40% of Jews that are religious are breeding like rabbits. And of the remaining 60% of Jews, 40% of them or 40% of the total, leaving only 20%, are now progressives. Mm-hmm. They're as lost in their politics as the Herodim are lost in their religion. Now, to say that 80% of Jews are unreachable, too religious, too political, to have any of this resonate with them, statement of fact that is actually a slightly better position to have 20% of the population potentially receptive to God's voice is better than we're going to find probably in any other culture or community on earth. Hmm. You know, when, when the final reconciliation occurs and the remnant of Israel comes to cry out Yahweh's name and they come to accept Yahweh as their God, it's going to be a very, very small percentage 
even of the Yehudim alive today. Mm-hmm. But bears repeating, Kirk, because Yahweh has done so. Kasam is invalid opinion makers, and Anan represents false prophets who obscure the truth and shape what I call polygious doctrines, a blend of religion and politics. Boy, mm-hmm. is, is ever a time when the polygious dominate a country, it would be in Israel. The Herodim are polygious. They're equal parts obnoxious in their politics as they are in their religion. And by the way, they're the most intolerant jerks in the world. So oh, yeah, this idea I... that you know they'll scream bloody murder when, when uh, I cite Yahweh's testimony, which says that they're disgusting. They, uh, they not only hate Reformed Jews and conservative Jews and simply Orthodox Jews, even the ultra-Orthodox Herodim hate ultra-Orthodox Herodim. In fact, on this most recent celebration of ancestor worship, where they uh, they uh, you know, go to a tomb and, and have bonfires and do zombie uh, dances, uh, one group of Herodim was trying to sabotage another. So this idea that you can't say these things about uh, religious Jews and uh, not be declared an anti-Semite, well, then religious Jews are anti-Semitic because they are overtly condemning of all Jews who are not ultra-Orthodox and even other Jews who are ultra-Orthodox. So these doctrines which underlie Kabbalah, which is Jewish spiritualism, it's about as occultist as anything ever was, Mm -hmm. rabbinic Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, even to some degree communism, socialism, fascism, and secular humanism. False prophets inspired by antiquated ideas have obscured reality under the guise of enlightenment to propagate misleading religious and political schemes. The second most popular political party in the southern part of, uh, of Africa, a group of Marxists that are vehemently anti-Semitic. They, they actually call for the total obliteration of Israel. That's how lost they are. And can you imagine not only blaming Jews who are singled out the world over to be blamed for everything, uh, but also being Marxist? I mean, how is it that you didn't see the difference between East and West Berlin, North and South Korea, Taiwan and China? How is it that you are oblivious to the difference between the Eastern Bloc countries in Western Europe uh, during the time of the Iron Curtain. How could you be so oblivious that you didn't see with identical cultures how communism was incredibly um, oppressive and ineffective compared to free enterprise? and that you would tout communism. The only reason that you would tout communism is because you think that it gives that group of people the right to impose militaristically their authority and power over other people. 
because you sure as hell can't tout it for any logical positive no yeah reason that's beneficial to people because it is all false Karl Marx was a false prophet Lenin a false prophet Mao Zedong a false false prophet so God is reminding us that he dislikes religion he dislikes political leaders so much that he won't tolerate them in his presence he won't tolerate them near his people he won't accept them in his land they will have no place in Yahweh's eternal family there isn't a single religious person yeah never has been never will be if somebody that you know has died and they were religious they have been excluded from heaven that doesn't mean necessarily that they are in Sheol hell no uh, probably only 1% or a tiny fraction of 1% of people end up in Sheol hell uh, to end up there you had to advocate on behalf of a religion and deliberately deceive people leading them away from God otherwise your soul at the end of your life is simply destroyed and about one in a million end up in Shamaim heaven those who accept the terms and conditions of the covenant with Yahweh's preferences now clearly articulated against religion we arrive at the statement that is misappropriated by Christianity and Islam to validate their religions and it is astounding that in this context either Christianity or Islam would say yeah that's our guy uh, after Yahweh said don't don't buy into the religions of the Goyim but nonetheless uh, there there you go a prophet it's a Anabi person is inspired by uh, Yahweh to uh, communicate uh, and record the testimony of God and who is accurate regarding the past and the future from among your midst out of your innermost nature from your brethren related to you similar to me Ka'ani and accord with me and one who can be compared to me Yahweh your God not Jesus not Allah Yahweh your God will raise up and position to take a stand which establishes and affirms you Israel he will validate and confirm elevating the status to encourage and restore you to him I want you to actually and continually listen El Hugh Shama it is my will that you genuinely and literally hear him with ongoing implications over time that was scribed in the call imperfect pedagogic none this is consistent with everything which you requested of Yahweh your God in Chorab during the day of the assembly when you said never again let me hear the voice of Yahweh my God 
nor let me see and witness this intense fire anymore, lest I die. Therefore, Yahweh said to me that it is actually better, and they have appropriately conveyed their preference. I will raise up and establish a prophet for them from among their brothers, similar to you. And I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall convey to them everything for which the benefit of the, which is for the benefit of the relationship, as I instruct him. And it shall come to be that an individual who will not listen to my words, which he shall declare, in my name, I myself will seek it of him, and I will hold him accountable for it, requiring it of him. That is the body 15, 16, 17, 18, and 19. It is all one thought. That's why I read it all together. Mm-hmm. That's a lot to digest, though, isn't it, uh, Kirk? Oh, yeah, uh, but yeah, since it's right. all together, you can't take just a part of it out and say, well, who is he talking about? So let's just read it again and, and try to absorb it. So a prophet. Now, there are only about 40 of them. I, I think that the actual number is 40 of them. But So Moshe was considered the greatest of the prophets for uh, for having played the role of revealing the Torah mm-hmm. and uh, establishing this wealth of teaching and direction. Uh, a prophet is one who speaks for God. And how could you have a, a greater reservoir of God's instructions than in the Torah? Torah. So, so yeah. Moshe is an expert on this subject, but it's going to be a prophet. That limits it, limits it to about 40 people. There has not been a prophet since Malachi, 2,500 years ago. A prophet. From among your midst. Well, that means he's going to be Jewish. Or at least a Yisraelite. Yeah, at least from a Yisraelite. Your, yeah, from your brethren. He doesn't say it. He didn't say from my brethren. So he's not suggesting that he's a Loewy. From your brethren. Speaking to Israel, he is going to be among the 12 tribes of Israel. So the prophet, from among your midst, from among your brethren, similar to me. Now, similar to me doesn't mean him as a lowy, but he is going to be a prophet that is similar to Moshe. I, I think there's only one. There's only one person that can stand, of all the humans that have ever existed on this planet, there's only one that can stand shoulder to shoulder with Moshe and say, he, he and I are, are, have the same quality of relationship with God. We are both, mm-hmm. we're co-equals in, in terms of prophets, we're co-equals in terms of the, of the merit of what we have achieved. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are four Zoroa, both were Zoroa. Yep. But when you just put those things together, he's a prophet that limits it to 40 people. From your midst, he's going to be a Yisraelite. From your brother, 
brethren, again, uh, affirmation is a Yisraelite. Similar to me, uh, well, that, now we're, we're at slim pickings. I don't think that Yashia, Isaiah, Yermiah, Jeremiah, Zachariah, Eliah, I don't think any of these guys would say, yeah, that's me. I'm, I'm similar to Moshe. No, the one person who uh, could make that claim and who things are said of that justify that claim is Dode. I, I think Dode is actually Absolutely. superior to Moshe in, in most every way. Yahweh, your God, will raise up in position to take a stand which establishes and affirms you. Okay, now we even narrower. Um, Yahweh chose Dode. You have to look far and, and you'll see that there are very few people that Yahweh chose. And Yahweh specifically chose Dode. He's, he told Shem, you're going to go to this person, and, uh, and when you arrive there, you're going to, to go through his sons until I tell you that's the guy. Yahweh chose him. Yahweh put his spirit upon him. He anointed him as the Messiah. He chose him to be king of his people. The spirit never left him. I mean, that's about as uh, raised up as you can be. He empowered him to kill, uh, take down a giant with a single stone. He's the man that acquired Jerusalem. He's the one that acquired the what became known as the Temple Mount. He's the one that uh, defended Jerusalem. He's the one that's called the Son of God. He's the one who has more prophetic testimony through the Mizmor and the Mashal than anyone mm-hmm. else. He's the person whose name is mentioned more than any other human in the Torah, Prophets, and Psalms. He's second only to Yahweh himself in terms of the number of times that his name is mentioned. He's the focus of prophecy the ultimate defender of his people. He's called the chosen one. He's called the shepherd. He's called the king. He's called the Messiah. He's called the branch. He's called the firstborn. And he's the one who is returning with Yahweh. So Yahweh not only raised him and positioned him once to establish Israel at the time that Israel vanquished her enemies, became a united country with its capital being in Jerusalem. Only one person did that. And Solomon would relinquish it. Going on apart. And never, never materialized again. The only time that Yisrael and Yehuda will be not only unified, but devoid of an enemy, will be when Dode returns. Returns. Yeah, it's only got one person here. Now, if you look at, oh, but it's got to be Jesus. I'm sorry. But Jesus did not take a stand to affirm or establish Jews. He took a stand to serve as the Passover lamb, and Jews universally decried him, denied him, besmirched him. Everything they could possibly do to obliterate his history and, of course, destroyed the uh, Jewish ability to capitalize on Passover. And this is to establish and affirm you. He's talking to Yisrael, 
not Goyim. The religion that was based upon Jesus is Christianity. That's a Goyim religion. Can't be Jesus. He did exactly the opposite. Only don't. To him, I want you to actually listen. You can't listen to Jesus. We don't know totally squat of what he said. There isn't a word of what he said that's recorded in the language that he spoke, Hebrew. There isn't a word of what he said that's reliably maintained. He didn't write a word down for us to read today. He's the opposite of every prophet. Every prophet, Yahweh said, write this down. And they wrote it down. And we can even read it now in the Dead Sea Scrolls. A word. Jesus wasn't a prophet. He was the Passover lamb. You can't listen to Yosha. We don't know what he said. We don't need to know what he said. There is no instructions in the Torah that tell us to listen to the Passover lamb. We're given specific instructions as to what to do with the Passover lamb and the reasons for it. Dode, however, left us with a greater written legacy to read and to listen to than anyone else who ever lived. So Dode, you can listen to. He's the most important person to listen to. And then when Moshe is saying, all right, obviously I'm talking to you here because you didn't want to listen to God, and God said, okay, we'll work this through. Now God's going to give you the ultimate exemplar, a man whom Yahweh can love, who he can embrace, who he can model a father-son relationship with. And he says, because of what you said about me and to me on Chorob, I don't want to see the light. I don't want to see, hear his voice, that it's intimidating for you. I'm going to give you my son. I'm going to give you a man that I've anointed. I'm going to give you a shepherd. I'm going to give you a, a great songwriter who's going to be my prophet. And he's going to be flawed, so he's not intimidating. And he's going to be a great defender of the people. He's going to be a great lover of this relationship. I'm going to give you exactly what you asked for because it's exactly what I want. I'm going to model the ideal relationship. I'm going to show you what it's like to be right and what the benefits are. Therefore, Yahweh said to me, that is actually better. And they have appropriately conveyed their preference. So I will establish and raise up a prophet for them from among their brothers similar to you. And I will put my words in his mouth. Well, the only person he did that with is Dode. And he will convey them everything for which for the benefit of the relationship I instruct him. And it shall come to be that an individual who will not listen to my words, which he shall declare in my name, 
Well, that ends the chances of Jesus, if there ever was any. I myself mm -hmm. will seek it of him and hold him accountable. The great transition and our witness on behalf of Yahweh is when we came to recognize that the Son of God is dote. Mm -hmm. Not that other dog, the lamb. That dote is the shepherd. He's the king. He's the one's returning with Yahweh. He is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. He is all of those things, and he is the ultimate voice of the relationship. When we came to realize that by studying not only the Psalms, but when we came to understand Second Samuel 7, when mm -hmm. we came to understand Yasha Yah 9, and then 42, when we came to appreciate God's positioning of this man and how the Christian religion robbed him of all of those things to justify turning the lamb into a god. When we understood that and, and how God modeled the covenant for us to follow through this individual, everything changed. The lights went on. We realized that the Messiah Jews were awaiting is the Messiah that has already been, the king that they await is the king they once knew. Not the other guy. Changes everything. And so God is telling his people, I'm going to hold you accountable. I gave you what you wanted. Rather than me speaking directly to you, I gave you the person that is most like me. To speak for me. To defend you to lead you, to guide you, to sing to you. That's what I gave you. I gave you exactly what you wanted. And now, after you've asked for this, if you don't capitalize on me giving you exactly what you wanted, well, I'm going to hold you accountable you. for that. Yeah. yeah. That's what he's saying. That's profound. Yes, sir. So that's one of my very, very favorite statements. I, I know it's long, 14 through 19 and the Badim, but um, I, I think it's one of the most provocative and least appreciated declarations in the entirety of the Torah, perhaps the entirety of the Torah, Prophets, and Psalms. Agreed. Yep. I mean, Yahweh had asked Moshe, as we know, to gather the children of Israel so that he could speak directly to them. The purpose of which, as I shared, was to affirm that everything Moshe had been telling them had indeed come from God. From a human perspective, the meeting had been, well, truthfully, it had been an unmitigated disaster, a total failure. Rather than reassuring the Israelites, Yahweh had intimidated them. The brilliance of his presence the tenor of his voice were overwhelming. Too much for these former slaves and laborers to handle. I think it is also likely that they were afraid that God was going to peer into their minds and souls and recognize that they were not that far removed from their brethren who had conspired to craft and worship the golden calf. That's understandable. Yeah. You know, Kirk, I think that the longer we work 
with Yao, the closer we become to him, the more relaxed we become about who we are. You know, I'm, no, I've got my flaws, but I'm not the least bit uncomfortable around God with my flaws. You know, I, it just, it's a very relaxed, comfortable relationship. And it, it takes a lot to get there, though. And the Israelites at this time, and even the Israelites today, are not there. They're a long way from it. So I'm sure it sounds shocking, but it is nevertheless true. Mm -hmm. Most men and women want nothing to do with Yahweh. They actually prefer faked gods who, by design, are similar to them. The fake gods that men have crafted, well, they will accept them. They can influence their fake god with their prayers and with their deeds. Most men and women prefer gods as puny and pathetic, as valuable and contradictory as they are themselves. A god befitting the people is easy enough to make, as humankind has devised millions of them. Get enough people to believe based upon monumental edifices that are erected to them and the scriptures written about them, and a god is born. They grow in stature by building religions around them, telling the skeptics that they're going to be tortured in hell and the compliant that they will be rewarded in heaven. The more popular they become, the more godly they appear. Throughout human history, in every race and place, men and women have done this very thing, shaping their culture and their lives around the gods they have made. There have been no exceptions. And where there is a false god, the real god is not welcome because he threatens to undermine the very essence of who they have become. The Israelites of this day, like the Christians, the Muslims, the Herodim of today, wanted a god that they could fashion to please them. One they could make like themselves. One that would listen to them and accept them as they are. They have no interest in learning what pleases Yahweh, listening to Yahweh, or allowing God to make them more like him by becoming acceptable to him. 3,500 years later, nothing has changed. No. When I read this, this was the best analysis of religion and most concise I've ever read. And that's when I call, you know, that's when I text you and say, don't you want to use this? <laughs> Let's go from there to here. This is really, I mean, all the other stuff is fabulous because it sets the groundwork, but this is really true. Uh, this is yeah. why you can't resonate with these people. You can't get through their blockheads. I mean, they no. just won't listen. They've made, they a God, they've made a God in their own image, and so they and yeah. their God um, chafe at, uh, at any criticism of them or their religion. The 
because, well, they are their religion. They are their God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they do it uh, the same way that the Biden administration uh, attacked one of their own, Jeff Bezos, ad hominem. They can't refute the argument, so they demean the individual that is uh, bringing the argument to them. It is impossible to to save a religious or overtly political person. The, the reason that God goes out of his way to besmirch calling them dung, religious Jews and Gentile civilizations, Gentile religions mm-hmm. and politics, the reason he does that is he knows that he can't save them. They're never going to be part of his family. So all he can do to protect us from him. To, yeah, to elicit a relationship with those who are not similarly corrupted is to explain to those who are not similarly corrupted, who are willing to walk away from those influences, that those influences are exceedingly counterproductive and ungodly. He needs to tell the people who are still open to the truth and open to a relationship with them that religion takes them in the wrong direction. That what the religions are saying is untrue. And then... He says because of the fact that they lie and say the opposite and mislead people and take them away from them, that they are scum. That's God's view of religion. And he knows that he can't save them. He knows that they're a waste of breath, that all he can do is to expose and condemn them in the hopes that some will listen to him. Now, religion is so good at being bad that uh, as we progress here in this story, we're going to find that God actually says that for thousands of years, he couldn't find a single Jew, not one who was willing to listen to him. Not a single one. And it's because religion is so pervasive. It's like the yeast in a, uh, in a loaf of bread. It permeates every aspect of it and so this is where we are God wants us to expose and condemn Judaism Christianity Islam big government progressives Marxists um, communists socialists those who who want to impose big government and those who want to expound religion they have no place with God They're offering nothing but false hope and lies. God despises them. And what's so amazing is what God is offering is what everyone you would think would want. He's offering eternal life. He's offering to perfect us. He's offering to adopt us into his family. He's offering to enrich us, to empower us, to exonerate us, to educate us, enlighten us. Um, everything you could imagine that's wonderful. (laughs) All he's saying is, just don't drag that religious garbage in my home, and I'll do all these things for you. And yet 99% of people are religious. No, thank you. No, thank you. So glad we're done with it. Well, this is a good place for us to um, uh, to stop for... uh, 
the evening. Look forward to being with you all next week. Kirk, always a pleasure to do this. Uh, yeah, week. Pleasure. this is, uh, yeah, this Thanks. is really important material. And, and you know, we are are essentially uh, halfway through this uh, this fairly recent chapter. I think I've written two chapters uh, since this. Um, and it is a uh, is, is an exceedingly uh, um, rich place to mine for the truth uh, because there's such a swath of information that uh, Moshe is is conveying uh, in the body of 18. Um, and while what he just said is extraordinary, and we'll review this again next week, what he just said is extraordinary. He is going to go on and uh, and tell us that I'm going to give you a, a perfectly functional way to recognize whether or not someone is speaking for me, that you can go to Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Paul's 14 letters, the book of, of Acts, and Akiba, you, you can it. apply this test to them, yeah. and you can determine, nope, yeah. uh, sorry, they're not speaking for God. You can apply this test to the Talmud and recognize, nope, not speaking for God. You can apply this test to the Zohar and say, nope, they all strike out. The Quran, nope, not a holy book, piece of crap from God's point of view. So there's a lot to learn, um, and that's the whole purpose of the Torah, the purpose of the prophets. God wants us to know the more we know, the more likely we are to understand. The more we understand, the more likely we are to choose to have a relationship with him. Because everything man's offering is rubbish. I mean, you're just going to see the world over these next uh, 13 years, or 11 years, it's going to fall apart. 11 years, yeah. Yeah, yeah, 11 years, you're going to see that nothing man offers is going to have any value whatsoever. Life is going to become miserable. And by contrast, God is offering everything wonderful and wants to completely liberate us and empower us. He's not afraid of, of you know, the, the religious and political don't want to empower individuals. They want to disempower them so they can control them. Yahweh just says, no, exactly the opposite. I want you. I want you operating at your absolute greatest capacity. I don't want to preclude you from knowing. I want you to know everything. The more you know, the better. The freer you are, the better. The more powerful you are, the better. What a concept. <laughs> what a concept. Wow. What a God. What a deal. <laughs> what a God. Hey, Why I'm, would you I'm not want that? I don't I'm get on board. it. Uh, I'm on board, man. I, I love it. And, and the, Listen, for the last 21 years, We've been sharing this because what God is offering is wonderful. What man is offering is terrible. Sucks. Uh, Please, come. Join the covenant. It's all good. All right, Kirk. uh, I wish you all a good night. Happy Shabbat to uh, one and all. My uh, my two canine friends are are both uh, snoring here at my feet. Jumping into bed. So it must be be time to say good night. Good night, y'all. Night.